Well, good morning, Rethink Life. You guys doing good today? All right, all right. Hey, while you're clapping, give those that are watching us right now live online a round of applause and welcome them into our experience as well. So honored and thankful that uh, all of you have chosen to be here and uh, hopefully you've come with a spirit of expectancy to receive what it is that God wants to say to your hearts. And uh, before I share today's message, uh, I also just want to um, just briefly just say how proud I am of uh, Robert McCarter, who did such an incredible job uh, last Sunday in bringing the message. Uh, many of you may not know this. He's only 22. He actually just turned 23. Actually, this past weekend he turned 23, uh, or a few days ago. And uh, 23 years of age, and uh, God's using him in a tremendous, tremendous way. And so, so thankful he could step in as I was away. And uh, my wife, Michelle, and I had the opportunity um, to be a part of an amazing church uh, this past Sunday. We were at ICF Zurich, Switzerland, and uh, I spoke there in all of their services, and uh, truly is an amazing story and movement of God. It's one of the largest churches in all of Europe. Uh, the pastor, uh, Pastor Leo, and his wife, uh, Susanna, they, actually, Leo's been at our church on two different occasions, and, um, and so I had the opportunity to go and speak at their church, just go around, and hearing their story of really just being faithful uh, for over 20 years, countless stories and times when they were ready to throw in the towel and call it quits and uh, met from place to place. And uh, they, were they were a portable church for over 18 years. And, uh, and now today they just moved in about two years ago into a brand new state-of-the-art worship facility. And they have helped plant now uh, over 70 churches throughout their ICF church planting network around the world. It's phenomenal what God is doing there. So we had the privilege of being in their services all day on Sunday, and then uh, from there we had a time, just Michelle and I got to tour some of the beautiful country and part of the world we've never been to before, and I must say it truly was an amazing experience. Lots of, uh, lots of chocolate, lots of good danishes, and lots of good coffee, and all the good stuff that uh, they're known for over there in Europe, and, uh, but, but it truly is um, refreshing to see the body of Christ represented around the world and what God is doing in various places. So cool to know that I can get up and share a message like this and um, somebody can get up and take what I'm saying and interpret it and speak it in German. And uh, so throughout the day, we had multiple audiences in different languages, and it was truly a, a cool experience getting to share the message of Christ, and yet it being translated in multiple languages so that people could connect the dots. And how you knew you connected was when the fact that they would applaud, or they would say amen in their own language. It was pretty cool. So um, anyway, it was just a, a truly an amazing experience. One of the experiences I had when we flew back uh, we actually had a 10-hour flight on Friday, so we left Friday to come back to Orlando, and so it's a 10-hour plane ride, and so um, on the seat backs, in, uh, on every seat, there was a little TV screen, and so there was basically a flight tracker, and on this flight tracker, basically what it was, it was like an assimilation, if you will, of your time of departure, and it kind of tracked the whole entire trip, so you could see from your point of departure to where you're you know, your ultimate arrival destination was, but you could also um, see that the time, you know, that it was taking and how much remaining time you had left on the flight, but also the speed in which you were traveling. And there was a part that we, as we were flying over the northern part of the Atlantic, um, the pilot had even came on board and, and on the speaker and referenced something that was also on the screen, 
And it's basically the fact that we were flying nearby the area where the Titanic sank. And I'm thinking to myself, why in the world are you pointing that out? We're flying over that spot. I thought it was a little, you know, like unsettling, you know, like, well, thanks for sharing that good news with me. But, uh, but no, as, as we were flying over, I really, I was just kind of intrigued, you know. In 1912, at that time, it was the largest vessel in the waters. And, of course, we know the story, you know, hit an iceberg. And, um, unfortunately, the, the, the boat began to sink. This massive ship began to sink. And what was fascinating is to know that there were 2,224 passengers that were accounted for. 2,224 people on board that ship. But sadly and unfortunately, there were over 1,500 people that died. What's interesting is that there was only a third of the required lifeboats on board. To support the number of passengers that were on the ship. So when the ship went down, you had, literally you had people drowning all around you. But yet those people didn't have enough. There was not enough lifeboats to save the people who were drowning. And so when I was thinking about that. And I was thinking about the message that really just the timing of everything. And, 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 and what I was going to be talking about today. I couldn't help but think back of. 18 years ago, when we started Rethink Life Church, that's exactly what we, what we dreamed of. It was an intention of our heart to create, if you will, build, if you will, a lifeboat that would help rescue people who are spiritually and morally drowning. And we know that to be true. There are people all around us that are spiritually lost. They're spiritually drowning. And God has called you and he's called me to, to offer that lifeboat, to be the lifeboat to help rescue the people who are lost and drowning around us. And so today we're talking and continuing to talk about our uh, series that we've been in called RTL Vibes. We've been talking about uh, the different vibes, if you will, which basically are our core values of our church. And so we all know that core values are extremely important. And so they're important to our lives, important to our marriage, important to our family relationships. And when you think about core values, they really serve, if you will, the foundation or the guidelines um, when it comes to identifying the things that are important to us. These are the values um, that help kind of navigate the decisions that we make. And so values are extremely, extremely important. But it's one thing to have your values hanging on the walls, another thing for us to live them out down the hall. You know what I'm saying? And so it's one thing to have stated values. It's another thing to actually live them out. And so we've been kind of refreshing, if you will, our hearts and our minds, once again, recircling the, the values, the vibe that we really want to see become a reality. And it's something that we have to constantly reinforce and remind ourselves, just like you, if you don't have a set of core values for your life, you need to get some. Because a person who doesn't stand for something will fall for anything. So you've got to have a foundation. You've got to know what you believe and why you, why you believe it and why it's important to you. And so the same is true in your marriage relationship. The same is true when it comes to your family. That's the reason why Michelle and I, and, and you just heard a few moments ago, on September the 17th will be the release of our book. And what we do is we walk through specifically step by step on how to come up with a mission and a vision and, and identify core values as a family. Because if you don't have that, you will drift. You will drift further away from the things of God. 
and you'll drift faster toward the things of this world than you can ever imagine. And that's the reason why we need to make necessary shifts in our lives. And so values are extremely important. And so when you think about our values, we talked in week one, honor is our calling. And then week two, we talked about generosity is our way. And then in week three, we talked about love for God is our passion. And then last week, we talked about excellence is our spirit. And today is the next core value, and we like to say it this way, people are our heart. People are our heart. And the reason why people are our heart is simply because people matter to God. And if people matter to God, they ought to matter to us. Don't you agree? I, don't you agree? All right, I'm going to make sure you are awake. I love this story. It's always a great reminder of the gentleman who was walking down the seashore, and it was kind of his morning routine. He walked down the seashore, and on this one particular morning, um, there was a tremendous storm the night before, and because of the uh, storm, it had basically washed all of these starfish onto the shoreline. And in the distance, this man noticed there was, a, there was a little boy that would randomly just stoop down and pick something up and throw like objects in the water. But as he got closer and closer to this little boy, he began to realize what the little boy was doing. So there were thousands of starfish as far as the eye could see up and down the shoreline. And as the man approached the little boy, the little boy was taking starfish and he was throwing them back in the water. And the man approached him and said, young man, what are you doing? And the little boy said, well, because of the storm, all these starfish were washed up on the shore. And in a few hours, the sun is going to be beaming down on these starfish and they're going to die. And the gentleman said, well, young man, don't you understand that there are thousands of starfish out, starfish out here? What difference are you going to make? It's impossible for you to save all of these starfish. And the little boy's response was without words, but rather with actions. He took a starfish, and then he threw it back in the water, and he said, well, it made a difference to that one. And you know, when you think about it, that ought to be our approach when it comes to people that we know that are spiritually and morally drowning. Yeah, we're surrounded by countless people every single day in the city of Orlando. There are countless people that are spiritually and morally drowning. And it's easy for us to say, well, what difference can we make? I'm telling you, we can make a difference one lost soul at a time. And so with that today... People truly are our heart. And there's a story in the book of Luke, Luke chapter 19, that I want to share with you. And I love this story. Some of you probably have seen it, you've read it, maybe you've heard a message uh, about it before. It's the story of Jesus and his encounter with a guy by the name of Zacchaeus. And in Luke chapter 19, we're going to pick up the story there in verse 1 and following. And it says, Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. And there was a man there named Zacchaeus. And he was a chief tax collector in the region, and he had become very rich. I want to pause here and just quickly give a little bit of context. So Zacchaeus was a Jew. But the Jews, they were not in support of the Roman government and empire. And so you had Rome and all of its power and all of its wealth, and they liked to flaunt, if you will, their power and their wealth. And so they... They charge these absorbent, you know, taxes upon the people. 
And so as a result, the Jews, they didn't, they didn't really buy into it because they didn't want to pay taxes simply because they knew that not only was the government secular and corrupt, but the government was, was also monetizing, if you will, the, the support of worshiping false gods. So the Jews were not in support of that, but yet they still were being taxed. Well, here you have Zacchaeus, who was a Jew, and yet he had sided in with the people of Rome. So he managed and oversaw many tax collectors who not only was going around collecting taxes, but they were even to the extreme corrupt in the fact that they were taking some of those monies and charging the people even more money and keeping a cut for themselves. So if you were a tax collector, man, you were kind of viewed as the scum of the earth. You were, you were known as somebody who's notorious, someone who, who, who people in many ways just look down upon and despise. And so as Jesus entered Jericho and he made his way through the town, there was this man named Zacchaeus, and he was a chief ta tax collector in the region, and he had become very rich. Well, he tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road. For Jesus, Jesus was going to pass that way. Verse 5, when Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Jesus, excuse me, Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. Well, Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. In verse 7, but the people were displeased. He has gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half my wealth to the poor. Lord, if I have cheated people on their taxes, I'll give them back four times as much. Jesus responded, salvation has come to this home today. For this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. For the son of man has come to seek and save those who are lost. It's interesting, this story, because you have Jesus who's having this encounter with a man named Zacchaeus. And as I just stated, Zacchaeus was a tax collector. The Bible says he was very rich. So chances are... Because of the profits that he was making for himself, the cut that he was keeping of himself, obviously he was looked down upon and despised by his own fellow Jews. And so here he was living this rich lifestyle from the standpoint of, of maybe in comparison to the Jews or in comparison to the other people. And yet here he is at a place. And we don't understand or don't know really all the details behind the story other than the fact that probably he reached a place in his life where he was empty, even though he had riches and wealth, even though he had power and influence, he still perhaps was disillusioned by it all. He probably felt there was something missing in his life. Maybe there was even a sense of guilt that he had because of the way that he had taken advantage of and abused the people. And so at the end of the day, we don't really know perhaps what it was that sparked a curiosity in Zacchaeus' heart to go and to seek out and to try to see the man that he had been hearing about. But we know that he found the spot where he could at least see Jesus as Jesus came into town. But rather than him seeing Jesus, Jesus saw him and called him by name. 
And I love that simply because I don't know who you are, where you've been, what kind of stuff you've encountered in your life. But I do know this, we have an enemy that's known as the accuser, and he's always wanting to point his finger at you. He's always trying to get you to remember and to reflect on every mistake and every, you know, every bad thing that you've ever done. He wants to remind you of your failures and your mess-ups and your mishaps. He wants to do everything he can, if anything, to heap more guilt and more shame upon your life. But you know what? When God sees you, here's what you need to understand. God doesn't see you in your sin. What he sees is the righteousness of his son, Jesus Christ, who died for your sin. So you've got to understand something, that when Jesus sees you, he sees you just like he saw Zacchaeus. He sees you as a person he came to die for, that he wants a relationship with. And Zacchaeus was not experiencing salvation because he gave some money back. See, in Mosaic Law, if you... If you stole something from someone and you still had whatever you took in your possession, not only did you have to give it back, but you had to give back four times the amount of whatever it was it was worth. And so Zacchaeus said, look, if it means making all those wrongs right by me giving back what, 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 what I stole from those people, I'm willing to do it and go above and beyond. And Jesus was emphasizing the fact that what this man encountered in his heart was manifested through a change of his life. And that's what salvation does. Salvation changes us from the inside out. But we're not saved based on what we do. We are saved because of what Jesus did for us. And so today we've got to understand something. That when Jesus saw Zacchaeus, he saw a man who was in need and he rescued him. If you've been saved, if you've given your life to Jesus Christ, and you call yourself a follower of his, hear me loud and clear. You have been rescued so that you can help rescue other people. Why? Because people should be our heart. People is all that matters. People matter to God. As a church, we are in the people business. People matter. And we can't ever take that for granted. So how do we rescue people around us? How do we help rescue the people around us that are spiritually and morally drowning in their lives? There are three things that I think that we can do. Number one is we need to identify the people who are drowning. Every one of us in this room know people it could be a family member, it could be a, you know, it could be a co-worker, it could be a classmate, it could be a neighbor. But there are people, we're surrounded by people who are lost. And chances are they don't even know that they're lost. But do we even take the time to even think about the people that we're exposed to and surrounded with on a day-by-day -day basis? Have we even thought about identifying the people that we could befriend, identifying the people that maybe we could reach out to, identifying the people that maybe we could have over into our home or maybe invite them into a small group or maybe invite them to church? I mean, at the end of the day, there are people all around us. The question is, have we identified people specifically that we need to reach out to? Michelle and I, when uh, we were at the um, beginning of our summer season of this year, we... As many of you know, we had a daughter who um, got married, and so she got married in the Tampa area, and after uh, the wedding was over, we had basically like a big family reunion, and 
uh, we went to the beach in an area called Anna Maria. And so we were there on the beach one day, and it was horrible weather um, for several days. You know, the, the water was extremely rough, and there was a rip current. You know, they had the red flags out. They were encouraging people not to even go out into the water, especially go out very far because of the strong rip currents. Well, on this particular day, I think we have some pictures. On this particular day, the waters were, were rough, and a storm was coming in. And uh, there was a lady who basically began to yell. And she was hollering, and before you know it, within moments, you know, a big gathering of people um, gathered together. And, and, of course, in our mind, you know, we're thinking there's a shark. She saw something out in the water. And yet, as we got closer to where this lady was, she said, there's somebody out there. There's somebody out there. And sure enough, you could see this person's head kind of bobbling up and out of the water. And so... By this time, the, the paramedics, they showed up, and this man is still out there. And one of the lifeguards gets on his surfboard, and he literally swims out into the waters. And we're watching this whole thing go down. And then within about 30 minutes' time, you see multiple boats. They have the, they have the, the, life, um, the, the lifeguards, I mean, everybody uh, out there. And all of a sudden... This man who was out there in the middle of the ocean was going further and further out, but he was doing it intentionally. And what we began to realize is that the man had intentionally gone out there to drown to commit suicide. They finally were able to rescue the man, to get the man in the boat, and they brought, brought him safely in, but it was the lifeguard that it was so impressed with, and he literally came back, he swam back, the boat's bolted, left him behind, and he's the guy who was the one who was able to negotiate and coerce the man to give up and to get in the boat. And eventually, we see a picture here of him riding off. The guy was physically exhausted and had a moment. I gave the guy a high five and told him what a hero he was and thanked him for his sacrifice, and, and it was a confirmation that the man who had drifted out to sea was intentional because he was trying to end his life. And you know, as we were thinking about that, I couldn't help but think that, about how so many people are desperate. You know, I, I couldn't help but think about who that man was. And what about his wife? Was he married? Did he have any children? He had to be somebody's brother. He had to be somebody's son or grandson. But yet here is a man who came to the end of himself, so much so that he wanted to literally just drown himself as a way of ending his life. And there are people all around us that are lost, they're spiritually and morally, they're lost and they're drowning. And I believe God has called us to identify the people that we know and we gotta do something about it. And you say, well, what do we do? We not only need to identify, but we need to throw out the life ring. You see, Jesus said it this way in John 4, 35. He said, don't you have a saying, it's still four months into harvest? Well, I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. In essence, what Jesus was saying is that, hey, don't sit around and wait for perfect conditions. There's never been a better time than right now, right here, to reach people that are far from God. You know, we look at the news, you know, last yeah, all day yesterday. I mean, obviously, the, the tragedy that occurred there in El Paso, and now last night, in the wee hours of the morning, you know, the, the tragedy that happened there in, 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 in Ohio, 
you know, of these senseless acts of people literally taking innocent lives. And, but you can't help but think about the families and think about the innocent people. And yet, think about the gunmen. Think about the people who are so disillusioned and so lost. And yet, our whole world, unfortunately, is drowning in suffering. So it's now hard to identify the people who need help. And it doesn't have to be, you know, somebody who... And with the outside, you think, well, you know, yeah, that person, you know, is, 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 is certainly somebody I need to reach. No, no, no. You know, it, 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 listen, they, they, they could be driving nice cars, living homes. Listen, they don't have to be what you might it, em, envision in your mind as someone who's lost. People are lost everywhere of all colors, of all walks of life. I don't care, rich, poor people are spiritually bankrupt and they need Jesus desperately. And so we have to identify, but we also have to throw out the life ring. In Proverbs chapter 3, verse 27, it says this, Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due, when it is in your power to act. So if you've got somebody that you know that's spiritually drowning, God has given us a rope. And you know what that rope represents? It represents hope. So God wants us to throw the rope of hope out into the waters of those who are spiritually drowning. And I don't know about you, but that's something that I see all the time, you know, as a pastor. You know, I see people who are needing hope desperately. We see marriages falling apart. We see kids who are, you know, living a life that is so far outside of God's good and pleasing and perfect will. Just to share with you a little bit of my heart, and I know it's the heart of Michelle, we, you know, as pastors, we get, we get approached a lot. And if I opened up myself in my calendar, I literally could spend all day just meeting with people who are going through difficulties. And it's bigger than me. It's beyond me. I can't physically do it. But yet, the need is so overwhelming because there's not enough lifeboats. And yet people are drowning. Spiritually, relationally, couples are suffering. There's not a week that goes by where I don't have a request where a couple wants to meet with me because they are at the end of their rope. They're at a point of desperation. They're needing a miracle in their marriage. And chances are when it comes to that point, it's almost too late. But I do know this, there's always hope in Jesus Christ. With God, all things are possible. And what we've seen, one of the reasons why we've written the book that we've written called Family Shift is because what we see is we see people drifting. They're like drifting out in the sea. They're drifting, and it's subtle. They don't realize it because they're getting caught in the current, and the current is subtle. It's like when you, when you, when you throw a leaf or a little twig in a little stream, or a river that has a current, what does it do? It literally just carries it downstream. And that's what happens with people. But it's subtle. They don't notice it at first. And then spiritually, morally, they get out to a place they never thought they would go. And what we see with young families is we see young families who will put God and put spiritual priorities on the back burner because they become consumed with all of the activities that are good things that they want their kids to be exposed to. Nothing wrong with any of that. But here's the problem. 
they substitute those things thinking that those things will bring them closer together when actually those things in and of themselves over time cause families to drift further apart. I see it every single week. And what we have to do as a church is we have to throw the rope of hope to people who are spiritually drowning, who are relationally drowning, who are morally drowning. We have to throw out the rope of hope. Let me tell you something, that's the reason why when we have life groups, that's, that, that is a, that's an attempt to throw the rope of hope to people, to bring them in. When, when we serve and we do things to make a difference, we do it, why? Because every time we serve, listen to me, every person who is serving today on our dream team, they are holding a rope in their hand and they're throwing that rope out when they open the door. They're throwing that rope out when they help with the kids area. They're throwing that rope out when they're serving coffee. They're throwing that rope out when they're out in the production booth. They're throwing the rope out in every area of our church. Why? Because that is their way of throwing the hope to the people who need it the most. Because they're coming through our doors. Many of you came through these doors today. And you know what? You have your own challenges. You're going through your own setbacks. But I'm here to tell you, the rope of hope is found in a person and it's Jesus Christ. He's the solution. He's the lifesaver. He's the lifeline. And the third thing we have to do is we have to pull them in. In James 5, verses 19 through 20, I love this verse because... This verse is actually written to challenge those of us who are believers to even go after other believers who have drifted and are not where they could be or should be. And notice what it says. My dear friends, if you know people who have wandered off from God's truth, in other words, they're not on fire like they used to be. They've drifted. Don't write them off. Go after them. Get them back. And you have rescued precious lives from destruction and prevented an epidemic of wandering away from God. Man, if there was ever a time, there are people that we know who are believers. They're Christians. And honestly, if you bumped into them on the street and you asked them where they go to church, they would tell you, oh, we go to, we go to Rethink Life Church. But for some of those people, I mean, the FBI can't find them. Why? Because they're missing. They're MIA. They're missing. They've wandered off. And we've got to pull them back in. We don't need an epidemic of people wandering off from the faith. We need an epidemic from the standpoint of seeing a revolution of people coming back to the faith and seeing their lives and their marriages and their families and their homes transformed what we need another verse that tells us in Luke 14 23 go out into the roads and country lanes and compel people to compel them to come in why so that my house may be full you know what when you serve on our dream team let me tell you what you're doing I don't care what role you play Listen, it's not about the role. It's about the opportunity that we have to make a difference of wherever that might be. And when you serve on the dream team, here's what you're doing. You're not only throwing out the rope of hope to people, but you're helping pull them in. You're helping people, listen, who are far from God, you're helping pull them into where God wants them to be. 
Hey, when you serve and you lead a, a small group, a life group, which we're going to be launching our life groups of this fall. Hey, when you lead a life group, here's what you're doing. You're not only throwing a, a rope of hope to those people, but you're helping pull people in. You're helping pull marriages back into where they need to be. You're helping pull friendships back into where they need to be. Listen, when we give financially, you're not only throwing the rope of hope to the people who need it, but you're helping pull people in. Every time we bring the tithe, every time we give unto the Lord, what are we doing? We are helping pull more and more people in. That is our role. We are a lifeboat. We are a rescue business. Why? Because people are our heart. Jesus came to seek and to save and to rescue those who are lost. And if we've been rescued, God's called us to go out and rescue others. Amen? So I want to encourage you to join the search party. And I want to encourage you to join our dream team so we can continue to throw out the rope of hope and pull people in so they can be rescued and restored and redeemed for the glory of God. Let's bow our heads together in prayer.